Well, good morning. Let me echo Joe's word of thanks as well for the honor that you gave us uh, today. Uh, I'm going to ruin the mood really quickly here um, because today we're going to be talking about financial generosity, something that we do, it seems, about every five years. And so I just want to say a few things before we do. Uh, if you invited a friend here to church today and you're regretting that now, you can take them out for lunch and pay for it later as a way of making up for it. Um, you know, if this has been a particularly bad week for you financially, you had a setback or maybe uh, an unexpected expense or something challenging and this just feels like too much, um, I just would ask that you listen and let the Lord speak to you. Maybe there'll be something encouraging and helpful for you here today. And I know that when I go to church, when they talk about money, I think, oh, there's some great financial catastrophe and they're going to do a big teary call at the end for more money. That's not the case at all. Um, this is just something we talk about because we're disciples of Jesus, and we give our lives to him, our, the whole of our lives, and this is an area that Jesus spoke a lot about, and so we're going to uh, listen to some thoughts about it today. When I was in high school, I had a friend, and we used to spend a fair bit of time at his house, and his folks were great. They let us hang out there a lot. They let us, uh, you know, make a mess in the kitchen make a mess in the living room, destroy the family room. Uh, they were just wonderful. They let us hang out there a lot. And uh, we kind of had full reign of the house while we were there, except for one room, uh, his little sister's room. And his little sister had signs on the door that made it very clear um, we were not welcome. And not only that, that maybe entering would be kind of like going into Point Lepro to kind of some high uranium room down there. It was not uh, accessible to anybody. And my friend would tell stories about how, you know, on occasion he would knock on the door and she would just yell at him to stay out or stay away. And uh, he told stories about how his mom would just kind of open the door without knocking and walk in and she would jump up and yell and scream at him and slam, or her and slam the door and not let her in the room. This room was off limits. Nobody was allowed to mess with it. Well, when we talk about discipleship, Oftentimes we use the metaphor of our life is like a house, and that in a house it has many, many different rooms. And in our life, those rooms are maybe symbolic of our relational life uh, with our family, our friends, our coworkers, or our neighbors, uh, the representative of maybe our time, how we use them, the kind of priorities that we have. And one of those rooms would represent our money or how it is that we use the funds that God has entrusted to us. And I know that for some of us, as soon as someone starts talking about this subject, we kind of feel like my friend's sister, and we just kind of want to say, you're not allowed in here, and we're going to slam the door, and you can stay out. But if our life is really kind of like a house with many rooms, when we come to faith in Christ, we are asking Jesus to be Lord of all of our life. And that means that when we ask Christ into our heart, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence inside of us, and the Holy Spirit then becomes like the main house renovator. And the Holy Spirit immediately goes to work, beginning to transform us into the image of Christ from the inside out. Because while Christ loves us and accepts us just as we are at that moment of salvation, he wants us to be transformed, and he wants us to be changed, and he wants us to become more and more like his son so that we can represent him well and serve him well in our world. And so when we become a Christian, one of the areas of our life that God ultimately is going to knock on the door of and say, hey, um, are you going to let me into your financial world so that in this room too, I can also 
be Lord as I am in other areas of your life. And so when the Spirit moves in, it begins this great renovation. And we think about how we learn how to relate to people differently in a relational world. We treat people hopefully better. We put them and their needs first. And we start to kind of leave behind the old ways of treating people. And we do it in our work world too. We don't see work as just the place where we go to make money. But now this is a place where I get to serve others. I get to be a witness to Christ and how I treat other people. And I can do everything that I do in my work world unto the Lord. And also when we let the Lord be Lord of our life in the, as it relates to our money, so Christ brings about changes. And so today I want to talk a little bit about uh, what I would call the journey towards generosity. That one of the things the Lord is going to do in our life, as we let him be Lord of our life, is he's going to move us towards greater levels of generosity. So I want to just make a few kind of general comments about that today, and then, and then we'll be done. The first thing I would say is generosity is not about money, it's about our heart. Financial generosity really has very little to do with money, and has everything to do with the condition and the state of our heart. Generosity is really about how we view what God has given to us and whether or not we really trust him in this area of our life. Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 21. He said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and insects to destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and insects do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says these words, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, before I go any further, I want to make a comment. Um, this summer, we taught through the Beatitudes, and I spoke spoke on this passage, and um, in a very lame attempt to try to illustrate um, the difference between heavenly treasures and earthly treasures, I, I made up a story about a, a guy who had switched financial advisors, and um, when he switched financial advisors, the advisor lived somewhat close to him, so he decided one day just to pop over to his house, and when he popped over to the financial advisor's house, he realized that his house was filled with used Tim Horton coffee cups. Some of you might remember this. And the point was, if this is what your advisor treasures and values, do you really want to entrust him with your money? Now, when I got finished that morning and went back to my office at the end um, and opened my office door, my office floor was littered with used coffee cups. And I just want to say the investigation continues, and I will find out who threw them in there, and we'll have a chat about it. Jesus' point is this. What you treasure, what matters most to you, what you value, can be reflected in how we use our money. It's where our mind automatically goes, it's where our time so easily goes, it's where our attention goes without any work. Meaning that if you were to go through your or mine or someone else's kind of monthly budget and look at all the ways that they spend their money, you would see what they value. Because money kind of is like an x-ray to our hearts. Now, for Jesus in his day, the challenge was um, consumerism, and it's even greater in our day. That in our day, we are just soaked in a culture that tells us 
You are what you buy, you are what you own, you are what you have. And as a consumer, you deserve every cent that you have and you must use it to your own advantage, every cent of it. This is the message. You don't need to go looking for it. Every app, every website, every commercial ultimately is trying to tell you that what you have is fully yours and should be used exclusively for your happiness. Now, but here's the thing. If you think about someone who might live that way and say, you know what, I'm going to make the whole life about me. I'm going to use everything I have for me. Do these kind of people inspire you? Do we honor them in any particular way? When someone dies, they say, oh, this was God. He was great. He spent everything he had on himself. He did whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. And isn't that inspiring? No, of course not. The reality is, because of the culture that we live in, which we don't even think about, we are always being pulled in that direction. We are constantly being pulled in the direction to say that what you have is all yours and you should use it all for yourself. This is just the natural world that we live in, which makes us ask the question, how do we fight against it? And generosity is one of the ways that we fight against making life all about And I would say to you that not just about being generous, but choosing to be generous consistently is the way we fight against the temptation to make life exclusively about us. Generosity requires intentionality. We know this because you're intentional about the things that matter most to you. You have plans, you think about them, you're making plans for the things that matter most. And in the same way that you will not stumble your way into generosity, you will not, you, in, this, in that way you have to sit down and make a plan in order to get there. Because the mark of a generous person is not that they give a little bit here and then when I make them feel guilty they give a little bit there and when someone else makes them feel sad they give a little bit there. No. It's that they choose to do it on a regular basis. Week after week, month after month, pay period after pay period, whether there's a lot, whether there's a little, whether someone asks or no one asks, generosity is cultivated in consistency. And I would argue it's one of the ways that we fight for our hearts to keep from believing that everything we have is ours and to be used exclusively for us. Now, I didn't learn this right away. In fact, I learned it from you folks. Um, There are members of this congregation who, over my years of being here as senior pastor and having talked to them, and they've shared with me a little bit about their own journey uh, towards generosity, have just kind of transformed my thinking. And there's one story that stands out in particular, and it happened many, many years ago, back when we were still um, at Main Street. Uh, I was visiting a lady from our church, and she was in a senior's home. And she had been there for four years, and I was getting to know her. And she was telling me about all the things that she'd been a part of through her years as part of the church. How she served in Sunday school, how she was on this committee and that committee, um, how she used to have people over to her house multiple times uh, a month just to kind of celebrate and have meals together. And now here she is, kind of um, sadly, kind of feeling alone and a little bit disconnected in this senior's home. And as she was sharing with me, she shared with me Um, that while she had been there for four years, she had not missed one Sunday in her giving. That each month she did up her, her, what she decided to give, she put it in her envelopes, she mailed the envelopes to the office, and they got deposited here. And I was so struck. In fact, I wanted to say to my 30-something friends, can you imagine, right? Can you imagine if they don't sing our favorite song, we're not going to give. But here this lady hasn't even been to church in four years, and she is generous. 
And she's done so consistently through her whole life. And what an incredible story it is. Generosity is about our heart. Fighting to make sure that over time, the whole of our financial world simply does not just become about us. Where in our world is God's kingdom and our love for the Lord reflected? Next, generosity is measured by percentage, not by amount. It's measured by percentage, not by amount. You cannot judge generosity without context. Maybe you are living under crushing student loan payments. Maybe you're sending money back home to support family and friends. Maybe you're digging out from a major financial setback. I love that when the scriptures teach about generosity, it's not measured by our income, but it's measured by the percentage of what you give from what you have right now. This is captured beautifully in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to, uh, 41 to 44. Let me just share this, this great story with you. Um, Mark chapter 12, 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasure. Now, that's a stressful image, isn't it? You're there going to give your offering, and Jesus is kind of standing watching. Uh, He's standing there watching people put their money into the treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. Now, this would have been coins. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny calling his disciples to him. Seeing a teachable moment, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Now, as I read that story, my imagination goes a little bit wild because immediately I start thinking, You know, was this widow watching what the people, the wealthier people in front of her were putting in? Was she listening to the loud crash of coins go in from their offering while she rolled together the two copper coins in her own pocket? Was she comparing what they were going to give versus what she was going to give? Did she see Jesus kind of creepily over off to the side watching what everybody was putting in? And she was kind of a little bit nervous about it all. And then Jesus points her out and he honors her. And I kind of wish like a TV crew appeared on the spot right out of the blue and took her aside and said, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus just used you as the example of generosity that will go down in memory in human history today. That I don't know how she entered the temple that day feeling about her gift, but the Lord honored her her gift because of the percentage, not because of the amount. And I think this giving of percentage versus an amount levels the playing field, which means a $5 gift might be more generous than a $1,000 gift. I think about people who retire or they lose their job or their careers change dramatically and they, they're not able to give in ways that they used to and they sometimes will talk and feel bad about that, but if they're giving the same percentage, they're giving in God's eyes the same amount. Now, the government of Canada tracks what Canadians or what percentage of people's income Canadians give. So let's have a little test and see how you're doing. The first service did not do well at all. Um, What percentage of just Canadians, all Canadians, what percentage of of their income do you think they give? Just shout out an answer. Five? Okay, you are very, very faithful. You are way more optimistic. Anybody else? One, 
Okay? The answer is this, 0.53. One of the wealthiest countries on planet Earth and one of the wealthiest periods ever in human history. And the average Canadian gives 0.53% of their income to any charities. Now, and no one corrected me at the first service because I'm not a math major, but uh, if you make $40,000 a year, that's $20 a year. 0.53% on $40,000 is $20. What about Christians? People are saying, oh, but that's not Christians. Christians, how much, what percentage of their income do you think Christians in Canada give? Any guesses? 10? 2. Christians in Canada give between 2 to 3% of their income. So just let me again do a little bit of the math. If you make $40,000 a year, that's about $1,200 a year or $100 a month. Does that strike you? Does that strike you as generous? If you're wondering what is generous, the Scriptures actually give us some help in this area. Uh, the Scriptures describe generosity starts at suggesting a 10% gift or what's oftentimes called a tithe. And as people of faith, maybe you've heard that before, for maybe if you're new to the Scriptures, that feels like a lot. And it's meant to because it forces us to stop and try to quantify the value we have for the work of the Lord in our life. To try to quantify and wrestle with how much does it matter to me that other people get to receive the kind of spiritual blessings that I've received in my life. It forces us as a, as a way of kind of wrestling with truly what is our value for the Lord, his, our relationship with him and the work we believe that he wants to do. Now, for me, I always think of this as kind of like training wheels. So the act of giving a percentage of your income forces you like training wheels to train your heart in a direction that it is not naturally inclined to go. It's like training wheels that helps us learn and forces us to kind of move in a direction just like as if, as if you were to exercise or stretch to do something that maybe your body isn't naturally wanting to do. Because here's what I know about me. I need no training in being selfish. None. I don't need you to give me a book, Selfishness for Dummies. I don't need it. I can go there like that. But generous? That I need some work. The natural inclination of my heart is not to move in that direction. So the Lord gives us this instruction that we set aside a percentage of our income that moves us and trains our heart in this direction. And I always think that training wheels eventually need to come off. Because after a while, our heart doesn't need them anymore. And we know what it is to be generous. And we don't need amounts or percentages, but we can live faithfully to the Lord with what he's given to us and look for all kinds of opportunities to be generous. Finally, and this is my favorite part, generosity creates a joyful heart, not a resentful heart. When the Holy Spirit knocks on the door of your heart. It knocks on that financial room that maybe you've got do not enter signs on. The first emotion that we experience is often fear. God's going to ruin the good thing I've got going. He's going to take from me, not give to me. Um, he's going to leave me poor and everybody else is going to get what I have. I'm going to be miserable. And I want you to hear that nothing could be further from the truth. Both the scriptures and if you just study social scientists, they will all tell you that generous people are more happy than non-generous 
people. There's this wonderful story captured by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Corinth. Let me give you a little context for it. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, the church in Jerusalem was experiencing a severe famine. There was severe poverty and a severe need. And so Paul is doing a little fundraiser, trying to raise some extra cash to send back to the church in Jerusalem to help them out. He goes first to a church in Macedonia. It's a rural church. It's a small church. They're a poor community. And they blow him away with their level of generosity. And Paul, being a great fundraiser, uses that story to share with the Corinthians to try to encourage them to give. This is what he writes, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, it welled up into rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. And they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege in sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave of themselves first to the Lord, and then in keeping with God's will to us. Now what stands out to me when I read that is joy. It was a joy for them to be a part of what God was going to do to meet this need in the lives of other people. So much so that later on in in chapter 9, Paul would write this, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful or a joyful giver. I have given without joy, begrudgingly, out of duty, out of obligation. But I've also given out of great joy. And when our heart is aligned with what God wants, and when we align our finances with how God wants them to be, that allows us to give with joy and to discover that it truly is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I was sitting down the other day because we're getting ready for our annual meeting, and I was just thinking about this congregation in this year and how generous you have been. And I was a little bit overwhelmed. I got thinking about just your ongoing faithfulness to our ongoing needs here and how people have continued to be very generous. I got thinking about, you know, supporting our kids and our youth and our adult ministries and all the things. But then I got thinking about all the ways that you have given above and beyond our regular giving uh, to help others in need. Uh, All $37,000 given to help people devastated by the war in Ukraine. Uh, $13,000 to churches in PEI who are helping folks uh, be impacted from the effects of the hurricane. Uh, $50,000 given for our Christmas ministries, which are going to be a ministry to people outside the walls of this congregation largely. I'm thinking about our benevolent fund, which helps people in moments of crisis, about another $15,000. And again and again and again. I was just moved by it, by your generosity. And I got thinking about what is it that makes this congregation so generous? And the first answer is you've given your hearts to the Lord. And you have allowed the Lord when he knocked on your heart of that financial door of your life and you've let him in. And you've let him in and you've allowed him to be Lord and to teach you that you're not an owner, you're a manager. That God and others go before your own needs and to work that through over time to figure out what that looks like. And that in your heart you've made that commitment. And then practically, 
You have just chosen to give a percentage of your income consistently over time. And it's what allows us as a church to have the kind of ministry to other people that we do have. And today, if this is an area maybe that the Lord has spoken to you about before, but you said, no, I don't think so, or maybe you kind of want to slam the door and, and run to, that I would invite you again to consider. As you've let Christ be Lord of other areas of your life, would you also let him be Lord of this area of your life? To have your heart. Because it's all about trust. And whether we truly believe that we can trust God with the thing that maybe is nearest and dearest and the hardest to let him have lordship of. Let me pray. God, today we thank you that as your spirit is living within us, looking to transform us from the inside out, that we can trust you. Lord, we have given you lordship of our brokenness and our sin and you have dealt with it. Lord, we have given you lordship of other areas of our life and you have been faithful again and again. And while, Lord, this may be for some the most difficult room to open the door and to invite you in, I pray that you would give us a vision of the goodness of God that we can trust you because you are faithful.